You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the scripture reading from, uh, or for today is from Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. And if there's a Bible under your seat and you didn't bring one, you can grab that Bible uh, and it can be found on page 520. And so don't hesitate also to use the table of contents if you need it. I'll give you a second to turn there as I do too. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we can come to hear from you, uh, that you give us your word, that you speak to us, and that you move in our hearts through it in our time and place, just as you did in the time and place to those to whom it was first written. Um, Lord, would you speak to us through the message today, uh, that they would be your words for us, uh, and that they would move us to be more of who we are meant to be in you. Lord, we also pray for um, all those who are in and around Central Middle School. Um, Lord, the, the pressure, the anxiousness, the confusion that comes into our culture and to youth and to um, teachers right now is immense. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bring your peace that it would be a peace that transcends understanding and that you would give us as a, as a body, as the church, um, avenues in which to bring that peace of yours to those people, um, teachers, administrators, students, support staff who are here. Um, we thank you uh, and worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Casey. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, this is uh, what's traditionally known as uh, Palm Sunday, uh, where uh, Jesus uh, parading into Jerusalem uh, the week that he was killed, um, and everyone gathered around the side of the streets and yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And uh, we're gathering around side of the streets uh, because of an NCAA championship, but, but do, not, do not yell Hosanna. That's blasphemy. Don't do that. Um, and so I'm glad you were able to make it. I, I know that the roads were difficult and parking here is always difficult, uh, but we're glad you're here. 
Um, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, if we walk through Ecclesiastes, what you found is we have a very, very depressed Solomon. Uh, Solomon has been looking at just the landscape of life, and he's been saying phrases we've heard over and over, where he just says, saying like, you know, vanity, all is vanity, or sh- some translations, meaningless. It doesn't matter what you do. Or, you know, some translations would say it's vapor, it's mist. You try to grab it, it looks like it has form. It looks like this thing or this relationship or, or this venture was something I can grab a hold of, but when I reach for it, it goes through my fingers. There's nothing to sustain me. And so, I mean, Solomon is very, very gloomy. Like if he was a Care Bear, that's an early 80s toy thing. Yeah, they came out, they had these different bears. He would definitely be Grumpy Bear. I mean, he would have the little rain clouds, light blue on his chest. He would have that scowl on his face. And he would have a, a, a complaint in his heart. You know, he would look at things and say, man, I tried that and it didn't work. He would say, I tried being diligent and getting up early and working hard and leaving something behind and it still left me at the end of the day with an ache in my heart that it didn't matter. I tried it. He would say, I, I, I tried to study hard and to grow in knowledge. Like I went to school, I did all the right things. I got the good grades and at the end of it, I was more depressed than at the beginning because I actually looked at things and thought about them. Or he would say, man, I, I, I tried to distract myself. I partied harder than anyone. I threw big parties. And like right now we hear that like, oh yeah, Solomon, he partied, but did he party? I mean, yeah, like read about it. Like he threw some epic parties and he said, but every night turned to morning and I awoke to find just me. And so he, he, he's very grumpy. He's very, very grumpy, and he decides, man, I guess I'll go to church. I mean, he's like, I've tried everything else. I might as well go to church. And he knows where the church is because he built it. I mean, you can read about how he built it. It took him seven years. It took him like 150,000 workmen to build it. Like, he is very familiar with church. And so he says, man, I guess I'll go to church. He might have to look some things up. When do they meet? They say they start at 1030, but when do they really start, you know? Uh, he might, or he's like, man, where do they park? I mean, where do they park? Um, And what do we have to wear to go? I mean, they might have asked all kinds of questions, but he says, man, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go to church. But he does it with this. He says, when you go to church, be careful. He says, when you go to church, like there's a way that you can go to church that actually harms you and not like, you know, I mean, you know, don't spill coffee on you. It's hot. Be careful. Like there's a way that actually harms you, a disposition of your soul that creates a false reality of God and of you and of life. And he says that's dangerous. So he gives all kinds of warnings. He's like, go to church, but be careful how you go. And so when we look at this, In Ecclesiastes chapter five, when Solomon's life is falling apart, he goes to church, and it kind of sounds like a kid's book, like Curious Solomon Goes to Church. Um, It was, went to the zoo, but I mean, so, but like he wants to give us insight on how you should go and what you should be looking at and where you should be careful and kind of what you can expect. And there's a lot for us to glean on this. Because he says there's a way that you can go to church and further depress yourself. 
further confuse yourself. There's a disposition of how we can show up. And this wouldn't just be applied to to going to the temple or going to church. There's a disposition that you can show up to read your Bible. And man, we encourage that. Like that's that's what Kevin was talking about. Like we like we, we just want you to read it. Like, you know, the Bible reading plan, it's got like basically three sections, sometimes just two Old Testament, some wisdom literature, and then New Testament. If that's too much, man, just pick the New Testament and start reading and start getting together and asking questions with people. Like, we think God's going to do something, but there's a way that we can approach God that can further confuse us. As a matter of fact, he's going to say, it puts you in a dream. And when he says that, he's not like saying like a nightmare or a happy dream. He's saying it puts you in something that's not reality. Dreams are not reality. And so we get these, these warnings. And so if we're looking at this last week, you know, we saw that Solomon was really frustrated about a sinful bentness inside the heart of people. And he said, man, listen, it wants to keep us away from community, but you need community. Like you need to be around people. And this week, He goes to church and he's going to tell us three things. And so these are the things he's going to tell us. These are the warnings. He's going to say in verse 1, pay attention to your motives. That's just the first half of it. And then in verse 1, he goes on to the end of it, really to the very, very end, he's going to say two things. Come to listen and don't play games. So pay attention to your motives, what is in your heart. Come to listen and don't play games. And so the very first thing, pay attention to your motives. And so he says, when you draw near to God, know what is in your heart. Take time to look at it. Look at what it says in verse one. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And so guarding your steps is a way to say, look at where you're going, think about where you've been, understand what is inside your heart, what is the direction of your life, like what are you looking for? Like the curious thing about your feet is wherever they point, that's where you walk. And so he says, look at where you're going, look at what you're looking for, what is inside of your heart? Like, like it's, a, it's a warning. Like, do you have the faintest idea of what you really want? Or of where you really are? Like, if you have that LTG field guide, like, if you open up, like, we look at silence and solitude. Like, one place that we go to is to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve have just sinned. And so they have just, you know, God said, hey, stay away from this tree. Don't eat its fruit. And of course, like if you had, if you were in a house, like say your house sitting and they said, hey, you can go anywhere, eat anything, but don't go in that room. You know, you're breaking into that room. You're like, man, what's in there? I got to know. I mean, and so God sets this up and he says, listen, just trust me on this. And they don't listen to him. They don't trust him. And then they find shame and brokenness and they start to hide from one another. There's a mistrust between them. And so it's like, man, you can't really see the full me. Start to block some things off. I feel defensive. I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. And they start applying that to God. And so God shows up and he has three questions that he brings. And those three questions are these pay attention, watch your feet. Do you know what's going on questions? Because God is asking questions and God knows everything. So he's not trying to gather information. He's coming as a good counselor to say, do you know what's going on? And so like if you looked at that in Genesis 3 or on the LTG guide, here's the questions. He shows up and he just says this. He says, hey, listen. Where are you? 
And, and so Adam, he, he, he hops up and he says, listen, man, I was hiding because I was naked, because I was afraid. And so instinctively, he just doesn't say behind the tree, you got me. He says this, he says, where are you? He says, I will, I'm afraid. Like if you were thinking about the general disposition of your life right now, what is the predominant feeling inside your soul? Like this is what Solomon wants you to do. Like, are you angry? Are you like feeling lost? Are you sad? Do you feel like God is ripping you off and holding out on you? Do you feel lost and confused? Like doing the work of God coming and saying, man, where are you? Trying to put one word in that. What it does is it changes the disposition of me not looking at the false me of what I think God wants to see. When, you know, I show up, people are like, how are you doing? Man, just blessed. It's not that at all. It's being real. This is who I am. I'm hurt. I'm scared. I feel left behind. He says, watch your feet. You know, there's two other questions, and we'll just hit it really, really fast. If you're looking at the LTG guide or at Genesis 3, there's actually four questions, but they summarize into three. The next question that God asks, and he doesn't need information, he's trying to help Adam see what's going on, is he asks, who told you you were naked? Which means, who are you listening to? Because what happens is he's like, you've always been like that, but it hasn't been a problem until you started listening to a different voice. You started listening to someone else, and they said it was a problem, and now you're hiding. Who are you listening to? You know, that the... the, the the idea is idolatry. Like what voice or idea is more important to me than God's voice or idea? Like it's a voice or idea that I value more. I want to please more. I, it has more influence upon my life. It's the personas we try to tell one another. You know, it's like, man, I gotta be the fun mom, you know? Like, I never lose it. Or, or I've gotta be the easygoing guy. Nothing ever gets to me. I'm never frazzled. Or I've gotta be the friend that everyone needs and they call when they're in help. It's the persona that we think, or it's the things that we trust in. These are the voices of idolatry, the people's opinions, or the idea of success that'll safeguard your life, or the reality of a dream or a future that will make you. So he says, guard your feet. Who are you listening to? Where are you? He says, when you come to God, like a little introspection is like, put a name to it and then say, why am I putting that name to it? Why am I afraid? What is going on? And then the final question is a question of repentance. It's in Genesis 3.13 where it just says, what have you done? Now, like, like, just back up a little bit. What we notice, Adam and Eve sinned and God didn't come in and kick the door down and say, what'd you do? He comes in with questions and he says, I want you to understand what's going on, why you feel far from me, why you feel like you need to hide this part of life. I want you to understand, to have this heart knowledge, to know how to come in. And Solomon gives the same advice. He says, guard your feet. You know, in the repentance question, it comes at the end, but it is a question to say, man, have you hurt someone? Have you manipulated someone? Have you lied? Have you taken? Do you need to ask for forgiveness? And so the first warning is this pay attention. 
You know, the, the second warning is come to listen. And so it says it this way. Look at verse one. It goes on. It says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And so, like, if you're writing down, you're like, okay, draw near to listen. Don't be a fool. Like, that's a pretty easy contrast. Like, circle this one over here. But it's trying to say everything that follows is a sacrifice of a a fool, what we think we bring to God, what we think we can barter with God, what we think we can offer him in such a way to get what we want, what we're trying to do. And he says, listen, just come and listen. We're in danger of coming with a lot of words and preconceived conclusions about who we are, about who God is, about what is okay and what is not okay. And what God actually wants to do in us and through us. You know, th this is not saying, so let me just get this out here. This is not saying, come listen to the preacher because he just knows a lot of cool churchy stuff. Um, and, you know, he went to seminary and passed Hebrew. I mean, he barely passed Hebrew, but he did pass Hebrew. Um, it's not saying that. It's saying, come and seek out what God is saying through the scriptures as we sing and the Holy Spirit works and we minister to one another. He says, come and listen. And it just brings us to this question. What if we started from a position that we believed this was true? What if we, we lay down some preconceived idea because we've got this filter that when this, the scriptures say something and we love to enter into like the confusing things like, man, what does it really mean? But it, those aren't the things that scare me. The things that scare me are the very, very clear things that are hard to do. And those are the ones where I'm like, man, maybe the Greek is saying something different. I mean, what if we just took it at face value and we assumed that the God of the universe who entered in the person of Jesus to die for us actually cares for us us, actually has authority and actually wants to communicate. And so he's preserved for us through the writing of 40 different authors over the span of about 1,500 years on three different continents in three different language, all coming to a similar conclusion of we have a problem with sin and it has to be dealt with in a sacrificial way. And the only sacrifice that worked is the person of Jesus. And God created everything around us. And so he has an idea of how it's supposed to work. What if we just assumed that was true? Like, what if we just started there and said, okay, I mean, what is this saying to me? Draw near to listen. And so look at verse two, it goes on. It says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. And so just take that in two phrases. And so the first one, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty. And so that's telling us, don't come just to reaffirm what you think you already know. Come to listen. Like, don't come just to come and say, yep, that's what I believe, or that doesn't quite fit, so I'm gonna dismiss that. Like, come to listen. Like, come to hear why we're not okay. But like come to hear or to be reassured that there is a provision that you don't have to earn it. Like, come to know 
that the great evil in the world that I need to deal with is not all the evil outside of me, but it's the evil inside of me that bends my heart around a selfishness of me every single time. He says, don't be hasty with your words. Don't be hasty with what you think. Come and listen. You know, a really good definition of sin is just what seems right to me. I mean, going back to the garden, Adam and Eve, they kind of looked around and they looked at the fruit of the forbidden tree and they said, ah, it seems okay to me. How many times do we do that? We look at something, there's a tense, like we're kind of like, I think the scriptures say no, but like, ah, it seems okay to me. Like the idea, because if I only obey, if it seems okay to me, I'm not obeying at all, I'm just agreeing. If it doesn't seem all right to me and I just dismiss it, there's no authority over me except me. And so Solomon says, listen, come and listen. You know, it's in Genesis 3, God doesn't give any reason why they shouldn't eat from the tree. He doesn't say, man, it is like super caloric, man, super fatty, stay away from it. He, he, he doesn't say, man, high in cholesterol. He doesn't say gluten. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't give reasons. He just says, trust me. And so the first phrase that we look at is, do not be rash with your mouth or let your heart be hasty. The second, it says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. And I think what that's saying is it's saying God's perspective is higher and he knows more and he sees deeper and he sees further. And so sometimes when our understanding is limited, we should trust God's understanding because he's higher, he's up in heaven. It's the same words that we see in Isaiah 55. For his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Don't be hasty. Come and listen. And then it says a warning. Look at the end of verse 2. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. And so this is kind of tricky. <clears throat> but what I think it's saying, it says, when you're in danger, when you haven't done the work, you're not coming to listen, but you're coming to hear what you already think. And you're coming to reaffirm like the biases that you already have. You're never doubting your own doubts. Or you're never placing yourself under the authority of the scriptures. When you come with many words, you're creating and supporting what he says is a dream. And so the correlation is, like, many words pr produce this dream, like busyness produces a dream. It confusing. A dream is something that is not real. And so he says, like, anxious work makes restless, haunting dreams that scare you or keep you from resting. Many foolish words cloud truth and create a restless belief about the world and about God. And the danger is we will tell ourselves the narrative again and again and again. And the danger is we will believe it, but our heart will never rest because it's not true. Isn't it crazy that lie detectors work. Like we are uncomfortable with lying. There's something in us that, that pulls away, but the danger, the real danger is we will believe it if we tell ourselves enough and enough, but our hearts will never rest because it will know it's not true, but we'll be convinced. 
In C.S. Lewis's The Voyage of the Don Shredder, um, I mean, I love Reap a Cheap. There's a moment when uh, they're, they're about to leave the island and the crew is like, man, we've been through the storm and it's crazy. We're not, we can't go to the world's end. We can't make it to Aslan's country. And so they're deliberating turning back. And so Reap a Cheap, he goes to the back. He has a little coracle, a little, which I didn't know what that was. I had to look it up. It's a little boat. And so he has a little boat and he starts unloading it and lowering himself. And they come like, Reap, what are you doing? And he says, listen, I don't care where you guys go. You guys, you can go wherever you want, but let me tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna paddle my boat in the direction of my king. And when my boat falls apart, I'm gonna swim in the direction of my king. And when I can swim no longer and I drown, my nose will be in the direction of my king. So go with me if you may, or don't go, but that's where I'm going. I'm going to Aslan's country. And in that moment, everyone's kind of kicking the dirt, like, well, he sounds pretty committed. But some of them turn back. Some go on and go to the end, but some turn back and they leave them at the island. They pick them up on the way back and they go, but they can't go home because they're full of shame. So they stay out on the lone islands and there's this one phrase that C.S. Lewis says really, really quickly. He says, they stayed out on the lone islands and they told themselves and each other that they went to the world's end and to Aslan's country until they believed it, but they could never go home. Come and listen. Be careful of the narratives that are already in your heart. Just try to name them and hold them up to God. Come to listen. Speak little. Pay attention to your steps is the first warning. Then it says, come, ready to listen. And then we get this warning. Don't play religious games. See, we naturally want to work with God self-righteously. We want to make bargains and deals with God. We want to say, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this. I, you know, I mean, if, if, if we win an NCAA championship, I'll go to church, unless the roads are blocked off. I mean, that we, we say things. We, we, we try to barter with God as if we have something to barter with. Like, all of my kids went through these stages, you know, where they want something, they're like, hey, man, I've got some Legos. I'm like, those are my Legos. And like, no, 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 they're my Legos. No, we gave you those Legos, and we could take them back because you have no money, you know? And so, I mean, like, we try to barter with God with things that are not ours, and we're bartering with God for things that will help us and not hurt us, or maybe I should say the opposite. The things that we want are sometimes dangers to our soul. So we barter, and we barter, and we barter, and then we start to believe that God promised us things that he didn't promise us. And then when they don't happen, we shake our fist at God because we're like, you said this. And he's like, I didn't say that, man. If you would read, you would know I didn't say that. But we play games. And so look at the games in verse four. It says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your mouth not lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. And so there's a little bit of unpacking to do, but it's kind of saying this, like you come to church, you're, you're moved by something. And so you make a declaration, man, I will pay this. I'm gonna sell this piece of land. I'm gonna give the money away. And then the messengers, like most commentaries are like, man, that's 
that's probably like a junior priest who comes and is like, hey man, you said you were gonna give us money, so now you better give it. And you're like, oh man, I didn't mean it. And so it's saying, don't do that. Don't be hasty with your words. You know, Jesus would say, hey man, don't make all these promises. Let your yes be yes and your no's be no. But we play this game all the time. You know, we, we, we're moved by conviction, by a need, and we declare in our hearts, or maybe even to someone like, man, I'll do it. You know, last week, um, you, you, we came and we talked about the need for community to fight sin, and we might say, man, I'll get in a city group, I'll get in a life transformation group, but then we leave and we like, man, I can't seem to find my way into one of these things. And we haven't emailed or we haven't tried or we haven't asked or we're like, man, I just don't know if there's a good time for me. And so all of a sudden, we made this declaration that we need to do it, but we don't do anything to follow it up. And the danger is not like that's an unforgivable sin and God's like, oh, I'm done with him he's a liar we're all liars that's not the danger the danger is we pacify the moment of conviction with words that we aren't going to follow through with and we harden our hearts for the next time that we would find conviction see it's like the moment when if you're married and like you you've been arguing you're in a fight and you realize i i am the problem like i'm wrong like, you realize that, like, you all of a sudden realize, they are right. I mean, I mean I've mean, i felt that a couple times, you know. I, you realize that in the moment, but you're like, I'm in too deep. I got to win. I'm just in too deep. And so you're taking a nuclear blast to a loving, endearing relationship because you think you need to win. And then what happens the next time you feel that conviction, it is way easier to brush it by. You did it before, you practice it. It's way easier to sacrifice the relationship to be right. And so there's this warning of this hardness of heart. And so, you know, we, we talked about, um, Kevin talked about life transformation group. Man, how do you get in one? Man, if you want information, man, hit us up. We'll talk to you. But we're gonna tell you to do this first. We're gonna say, man, get in a city group. Be there for a while, look across the room, and if you're a dude, be like, man, I think, I think that dude's the one. I think he's the one. And then you gotta suck it up and you gotta get a little courage and you gotta walk over there and you use code language. You say, do you wanna get a cup of coffee? And now they know the code language, so they say, oh, coffee, the code. And that means I'm gonna ask you, do you wanna help bear sins with me that we could follow after Jesus? Do you wanna help me take God's side against myself? Do you wanna help me, like, ask me the questions? you read your Bible? And I'm gonna lie to you, like, yeah, man, I mean, no. I mean, I'm asking you to do that. Like it takes a little bit of initiative and a little bit of try and a little, maybe a little bit of money. Maybe they'll buy coffee for you. Maybe they won't, I don't know, but a little bit. But if we don't actually follow through, we pacify the moment. And I think the warning is we harden our hearts to a true reality for a dream reality as if me just saying that did something in my heart. So we're moved by conviction or we're convicted about sin and we say, man, I need to confess that and ask for forgiveness. And we leave, but we never seem to find a good moment to tell someone about the most dangerous and darkest sin in our life. Like that moment never happens. Like that moment of like, man, I would, I, yeah, 
this is the divine moment. That never happens. It is always a better time to get tacos. Like you're always like, hey, I was gonna uh, you know, confess my deepest, darkest sin, but I really want tacos, um, which could be code. Like if you look at someone and say, hey man, you wanna get some tacos? Like they now know, oh man, this ain't even coffee. This is tacos. What did you do? You know, I mean, like, like I need tacos. When I was thinking about this, this has nothing to do with anything, but I realized this. You know, I was thinking about tacos and I was thinking about, you know, my, my wife, you know, like when I, you know, I know I'm wrong, but I just want to win and that's dangerous. And I thought, man, when I go to kiss my wife, I lean my head to the right to kiss her. But when I eat a taco, I lean it to the left. And I don't know why that's important, but I think it is. So write that down. <laughs> but like, this is what's dangerous. And I want you to know, Jesus talks about this very specifically. He talks about it very, very specifically. He says this in Matthew 5. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says, you want to know the best time to deal with conviction upon your heart that is God's goodness to you? He says, right then. To say, I'm sorry. To say, this is sin. To say, I need your forgiveness. See, these are ways that we wrestle and ways that I wrestle, I mean, every week. Like, man, the conviction lays upon and I read this in the scripture and he's saying, man, listen, pay attention when you're coming to church. What is in your heart? Take that as an offering to God and hold it up. If you're angry, just say you're angry. If you're hurt, just say you're hurt. If you're confused, say you're confused and say, God, this is what I have. This is what's true. And then he says, and come to listen, don't come just to spout what you think. Come to listen how the scriptures and the Holy Spirit of God would lead us. And then he says, don't play games. Don't make vows that you know you're not gonna follow through with. But this isn't always an internal dialogue. Sometimes it's a very official thing. See, sometimes in church, we make promises of ordination and we promise to seek the Lord and to love the church and to faithfully tell the truth about what the Bible says. It's a public promise. Or, or, or sometimes we promise to marry. We, we promise uh, to be one flesh, to forsake all others until death do we part. It's a promise of fidelity. We promise toward the future. It's not saying I love you now. It's saying no matter what happens tomorrow, I choose to love you. Rich or poor, I love you. It's a promise to always take back. Or sometimes in baptism, we say, man, I promise to forsake sin and Satan and all his devices because now I see it as wrong. Or sometimes in baby dedication, it's super hectic and we have lots of people up there and they're all holding babies, but we promise I will do everything I can to show them Jesus. And then the congregation promises back, man, we're gonna hold you to that. We're gonna try to show them Jesus too. We're not gonna show them religion. We're gonna show them that we need Jesus, that Jesus is good. And so we make these official public promises. And Solomon is saying, it would be far better for you to never make that promise than to make it and just walk away. Like, it's scary. He says, don't 
play games. And once again, I don't think it's because it's unforgivable when we fail. I think it's a warning about the hardening of our hearts that when we push sin off again and again, again, or following through with repentance again and again, we tell ourselves that, man, I'll do it later. What makes you think you'll want to do it later? I mean, you don't want to do it now. And so there's this hardening that happens. And so we play games and sometimes we hide behind strong convictions of what's wrong with the world or we hide behind good theology and interesting mysteries in the Bible or we hide behind the suffering that we've experienced like it makes us untouchable for the conviction of the scriptures or we even hide behind half-hearted convictions and confession. We tell people enough that they think that we're known, holding this piece really close to our chest, and then we're bitter at the Lord and our community because he hasn't come through. But the answer is, man, we really haven't confessed. He says, don't play games. And the warning continues. Look at verse six. It says, for why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? And then we see that dream thing again. For when dreams increase and the words grow many, there is vanity, there is striving after the wind, there is meaninglessness, there is a vapor that you think you're grabbing a hold of, a truth of reality, but it slips through your fingers. Like when we play these kind of games, we create a false reality of who God is, what this world is like, what is harmful and what is not harmful, because we never came to listen And it says, but God is the one you must fear. See, the the, the warning again is like when words grow many and excuses abound, when games are vast, we create and start to believe a dream, an untrue reality. And then we let those things, those are the things we really fear. We really fear losing out on some experience or we really fear not succeeding in such a way or we really fear not having that person's affection and so we never just trust God because we don't really fear him. We really fear them. And he says it's, it's like a dream. And so Jesus gives us another story in Luke 18. And I think it paints the picture of what Solomon's trying to say And the story is about two men who come to church and one's a Pharisee and one's a tax collector. And the Pharisee sits up front. And man, I always love it when you guys sit up front. You're my favorite. And so the Pharisee sits up front and he stands up and he prays, man, I'm so glad, God, I'm not like those other people. I'm not like those people who lie and steal and cheat. I'm not like those people who are sexually perverse. I'm not like those people. I'm the kind of people that I tithe and I give and I vote this way and I do that. I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them. And then it says there's a tax collector in the back who can barely look up and he just beats his breast. And he says, Jesus, have mercy on a sinner like me. And then Jesus makes a proclamation. He says, he went home with a right standing before God. You know, the other game that we play 
is we act like the sins that don't affect us are the real dangers in the world. And we add all our language and all our talk to those kinds of sins. When this is what I'm sure of. God wants to enter in on the only sin that you really have access to, your sin. And he wants to show you reality. And he wants to bring you life. And he wants these chains to drop off. And he wants you to be able to walk in authentic community where you can be known, the things that you thought you couldn't let be known, and you can be loved. And he doesn't make promises like you won't be hurt. He doesn't make promises that it won't be hard. But he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And what I begin in you, I will finish it. I promise the day of Christ, you'll see it all. And all the things that befall you that look like they hurt because they do hurt and look like they have no meaning, it will bring about my glory and you're good and you may not understand it in this lifetime but trust me because I'm in heaven and I put my feet upon the earth in the person of Jesus and I've made a bridge that you can now touch the divine and I can reach to the depth of you so when you come try to figure out what's in the depth of you come to listen don't barter with things that you don't have and so just listen to what the scriptures say. I'm gonna focus in on one thing. The idea of come and listen and hear. See, Moses clarified in Deuteronomy 6. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. God the Father God the Son, God the Spirit. There is no like fight between them where God the Father is indifferent and Jesus the Son is loving. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all present at the baptism of Jesus, proclaiming who he was, being baptized for all righteousness sake and the Spirit descending, all coming together to say, all of the Godhead had to work to make you right before God again. God is one. Or David warned, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Or, or Isaiah prophesied that one day, this is what we would experience. God would enter in. In Isaiah 30, he says, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Or Paul preached in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and from hearing through the word of Christ. Or when Jesus promised in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, I give them eternal eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand or John what he foresaw. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall no, be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. Thanks be to God. People of God, hear what Jesus has promised you. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just pray that there would be a disposition in our hearts that as we come to communion, 
It's like coming to a table to hear. I mean, it, it, it's a peculiar thing that, that when we think of good food and, and dinner and coming together, we typically don't think of that as alone just to eat. We think of that as coming alongside others to engage. And Lord, we have a longing in our hearts to sit across and to be known and to know. And in communion, it's a picture of what will be that one day we will feast in the courts of heaven and we will be known and we will be seen and we will grow all the days of eternity in knowing. But Lord, you offer some of that now. And so a real practical way that we could apply this, it has down eyes closed, it would just be this. If you're a Christian, when you come to communion, whether you come down here and you start on the bread side, it'll be handed to you and then you dip it either into the wine or the grape juice. The wine is in the uh, earthenware and the grape juice is in the glassware. Like if when you do that, like one great thing to be doing is like just the introspection of God, this is where I am and be honest. Like, like, don't be like, man, this is where I am. I'm really happy and I, I love everything. Like, if that's not you, like, that's not you. This is where I am. I'm really angry. And then you remember that Jesus saw that anger and his body was broken and his blood was spilt. And so then the question is, can I trust a God who did that even when I'm angry? Or another movement that we invite you to, and it would be a step beyond, like if there's conviction in your heart, it's something that you need to say is true, it would be either grabbing someone next to you and saying, man, I just need you to pray for me about this, or I just need to tell you this, or be grabbing someone who wants to pray for you in the back. And you can tell them just as clearly as you can, man, this is what's going on, just pray for me, and they'll just pray. And man, we, we ask them to pray big, we ask them to try to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit the best that they can. We ask that there would be prophecy in the sense that God would lean their heart to say something or to pray something, that the Holy Spirit of God, who knows the depth of you and the depth of them, also knows the heights of God and would connect those. We just ask them to pray. But all of those take an authenticity that say, I'm done playing games. I'm just gonna assume, start off from this place, when the scriptures say it, I'm gonna start off with a place that it's true. And that the God of the universe has written it down because he loves me and cares for me. That's the way we need to come. Father, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come when you're ready.